This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to a very hungover City Report podcast. Um, I'm delighted to say, having recovered from COVID and in the midst of a move halfway across the country, Adam Booker is back with us. How are you doing, Adam? How's your last couple of days been? It's been uh, lovely. I've had to half celebrate and drink uh, (laughs) and half pack up an apartment to move across the country as I've uh, been banging on about for weeks now. So it's been a weird kind of switch of emotions and ideas for the past past few days but we're here yeah just about just about I'm not quite sure how the likes of Jack Grealish and Scott Carson will be feeling today um but in other news we've got another guest with us as well uh to, to sort of divulge through whatever the last 48 72 hours have been Alex Brotherton friend of the show second appearance how are you doing Alex it's been a bit of a a bit of an interesting few days, hasn't it, in the city quarters? It certainly has, yeah. Um, yeah, just I think my head's just about been screwed back on, but I'm still trying to figure out just what happened. So, um, yeah, hopefully we can sort of try and provide the listeners with a bit of clarity about what happened on <laughs> Sunday. But you know what, I'm not, I'm not too confident. But uh, yeah, pleasure to be back on the show and looking forward to sort of diving into the past 48 hours because, as you say, an awful lot has happened. And yeah, I think yeah. it deserves a, a bit of a fine tooth comb in, to be honest with you. 
I mean, you're optimistic about giving some sort of clarity because that definitely won't be coming from me. Um, <laughs> before we get into it then, obviously, the admin, as per usual, if you can, subscribe on whichever podcast platform you are listening along on. If you're new around here, of course, please leave a lovely rating and review, preferably five stars. Um, how to start this off then? Well, it, like we say, it's been a whirlwind of a weekend, an emotional weekend, a dramatic weekend, and to be honest, a pretty bloody expensive one too. Manchester City are Premier League champions yet again, 10 years after their first triumph against QPR at Manchester United's expense. City reign supreme over England once more. Well then, Adam, um, it's almost beyond comprehension what happened at the Etihad Stadium. Obviously, City coming from 2-0 down against Steven Gerrard's Aston Villa side. And, you know, whilst Liverpool never topped the table on the final day, it did feel as if they effectively had one hand on the Premier League title for, well, since Aston Villa took the lead. How have you been digesting what went on? How have you been looking back at it? And have you had any time to sort of try and make sense of what was a utter nonsense on uh, on Sunday afternoon? I don't think I'll necessarily ever make sense of it, um, but I've been digesting it the way that any person across the pond would, uh, which is just scrolling social media, <laughs> scrolling through YouTube, watching every single bit of content that I possibly mm-hmm. can, listening to every podcast that I possibly can. Uh, I've watched the highlights about <clears throat> 30 times. Um mm. Thankfully, NBC Sports put up a nine-minute video that's titled The Five Minutes That Won the Premier League, and it's just like from the 75th minute to the 82nd minute, and it's just that. I've been watching that on replay. Um, It's the kind of thing that hasn't fully hit yet. Mm. It still feels like a bit of a fever dream, Uh, but I'm very happy that it wasn't just a fever dream, and it was very much real, and somehow we've all lived this for a second time in many of our lives Mm, yeah I think that's the crazy part isn't it it's you almost felt like well Martin Tyler said you'll never see anything like this yet again well Martin you were wrong um how have you tried to understand what's gone on then Alex because City didn't have a hope of, of the Premier League title for what 20 minutes of the season to go it was effectively gone a trophyless season it was looking like for City quadruple for Liverpool and I'm sure we'd have uh, would have taken that gracefully wouldn't we we wouldn't have heard much about that and um but well other than that absolute bedlam and a game that like the QPR one will be immortalized forever on the back of a pretty remarkable season in general yeah it's just it's such a strange, it's just impossible to try and explain what happened, really. I think we've seen in all the coverage, you know, even even like Pep Guardiola, when he was asked after the game, kind of what what caused the, the sudden fight back and the three goals in five minutes. And his only explanation really was momentum. Like once he got the first, then you get that rush of momentum. And but they, but then obviously you got the substitutes like like uh, Gundogan and, and Zinchenko, which obviously obviously changed the game. But yeah, it's just in some ways, and it's obviously it's it's hard not to make comparisons to ninety three twenty, given the scoreline, the dramatic mm. comeback, the fact that it was pretty much bang on ten years ten years later. But uh, in some ways, I think it felt even more like kind of unexpected in a way, in the sense yeah. that for the QPR game, it was in that second half, especially towards the end, City just kept banging on the door, knocking away. And Paddy Kenny was just having the game of his life. Mm. And City only just wouldn't go in. Whereas for 75 minutes of this game against Villa, obviously City, you know, like normal, had most of the ball. They were playing most of the game in Villa's half. But they really did struggle 
to create clear opportunities. Obviously, Gabriel Jesus had that one where he was stretching and he went over the bar. And I think mm. Kevin De Bruyne had a few sort of half chances where you normally expect him to hit the target and he didn't. But apart from that, it just felt like one of those days where it's just not clicking. City aren't really creating proper chances. They're all kind of half chances. And obviously, when Coutinho scores a second, then it's just, well, I just felt, I just thought it was done. And I should probably mm. know by now that it's never over. We probably all should know that by now. But it just did feel like one of those days, didn't it, where nothing was really working. City looked vulnerable every time Villa attacked. And they just didn't look like they were going to find that that right sort of, uh, that right opening to kind of make an indent in, in the deficit. So in that sense, it's, it was just incredible when they got the first goal back uh, through Gundogan and then all of a sudden it was just wave after wave and it looked like City would score every time and that's what they did. Three goals in five minutes and it's, yeah, it's just hard to kind of wrap your head around how, obviously it was clear that the substitutes caused it, but why they did. And obviously mm. Pep said about Gundogan and his ability and his tempo and his ability to make those runs. But yeah, it was just mad how it, how it suddenly changed all of a sudden. Um, so I think that's kind of the hard the hard thing about trying to wrap our heads around it. Um, but yeah, incredible. I'm kind of glad I don't live in uh, somewhere I can watch CBS because I don't know if I want to watch the whole... As <laughs> incredible as it was, I mean, when it happened in real life, being there, my, my legs by the third goal, my legs were oh, just... Yeah. I don't know if it, they were just jelly, just weak. And maybe, maybe yeah. that was because I hadn't had anything to eat and I'd been at the pub before. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Probably, um, yeah, just the absolute adrenaline of the situation. It was just absolutely incredible. Yeah, well, for someone who had no way to comprehend it, you've done a pretty fantastic job of, of walking <laughs> through exactly what happened from first whistle to last. But, um, but yeah, you're absolutely spot on, Alex. City were were hapless, really were hapless. Um, I guess we'll rewind a little bit then and we'll take it back to before kickoff and you can have the joy of, of leading us through this one, Adam. But those hours leading up to the game, I, I, I presume I speak for everyone, but but certainly for me, it was absolutely torturous. And every coping mechanism I've ever had for football, and I'm talking, you know, Champions League finals, uh, big finals at Wembley, final day, et cetera, et cetera, just none of them were working at all. I spent, must have been upwards about an hour playing darts in my living room, just trying to take my mind off it and, you know, quite badly, quite nervously trying to hit double 10 and ending up on the other side of the board. But um, yeah, like I said, I was, I was absolutely jittery from about 7pm the night before and, and well, until kickoff and that lineup didn't help, did it, when that dropped and it felt as if there were going to be issues like this that have been in recent weeks in defence and that was clear to see from the off, a, a well-worked but preventable goal probably for Villa means meant that City trailed at half-time and where was your head then, Adam, going into the game and how much of that had changed at half-time? Was there this sort of pretty much confidence or you know expectancy and then did it by half-time begin to fade away or were you still at 1-0 down going, yes, City can do this? As, as bad as the performance was, you felt City could potentially get into it. Well, I was weirdly calm and now looking back on the whole day, <laughs> I think that I was so nervous that it just like knocked me out and I was just in this like malaise through the morning because you know this game kicked off at 11 a.m for me so I was up at about 8 30 and was kind of already in pre-match mode Mm. um and typically you know we have we've got group chats and you and I talk you know on on whatsapp and talk about lineups and, and how the team could set up and 
in our group chat, I think the final thing I said was, yeah, I can't deal with any of this analysis of the lineup. <laughs> I, and I just said, I'm muting this. I'll talk to you guys later. And that, that's what I did. Yeah. So yeah. I think in that moment, I felt calm and was like, just let it all happen. But in reality, I was I was sick to my stomach. Um, but then by halftime, yeah, I, I wouldn't say I was very confident that they could turn it around. And that's mostly because that's been the pattern in the Pep Guardiola era is – you kind of know how City are going to play for 90 minutes within 10 minutes of kickoff. Um, they're, they typically are either up for it or they're not. You know, mm. you know, we've seen games like the uh, 2-0 loss to Palace at home earlier this year, um, the Southampton game at home where they just don't look like creating anything. Um, and the other team, you know, sometimes looks threatening on the break and, and you can kind of see the the warning signs early on. And that's, that's how I felt about this game. Um, but I'm also not a very optimistic person in general. Um, but for me, it really, when the first goal went in, my my girlfriend had gone to another room because she was sick that it was 2-0. And I just yelled, 15 minutes of positivity right now for like the first time in my life. And and so clearly I, I changed something in that game because of my positivity. But um yeah, I think overall I was I was so nervous that it made me calm in a very weird way. <laughs> like a life coach on one yeah. of those like early Nazis DVDs, it's, fitness DVDs. It's like, you know, when you're with other people and they're like if they are freaking out about something, it makes you weirdly yeah, calm and you yeah. become the voice of reason. Yeah. I think that's how I felt. Like the lineup came out and everybody's heads went and I was just like don't worry, you guys. <laughs> which is which is not like me at all. But uh, but yeah, a nice warm Adam Booker hug. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it it's interesting, isn't it, Alex? Because City have always prevailed on final day in in title races. But for me, anyway, that game felt different. It didn't feel like Brighton away in twenty when twenty eighteen nineteen when City had won what a billion games on the trot to to get to the top of the table. Didn't even feel like the QPR game where. This was still a novelty, and and again, um, West Ham in twenty fourteen, where it felt, you know City sort of you you were a little bit more confident then. Um, obviously, the QPR one, we all know how that went, but it felt for this one, everything had been gearing up for Steven Gerrard, who who was the buzzword, wasn't he? That that, that entire week in the pre match build up, he could avenge all the mistakes of title races prior with the help of ex Liverpool teammate and a man who's performed against City uh, whilst playing for Liverpool in Coutinho, and then help the club where he already holds legendary status secure the title on the final day and well for about 70 minutes or so that was exactly how the script writers had put it hadn't it and it looked as if it was going to play out in despair for City jubilation for for Gerard and Liverpool yeah um yeah I'm just wondering if Adam just on going back to Adam's point I'm just wondering if him and Jesse Marsh have been sharing inspirational <laughs> things I can imagine Jesse Marsh in the Leeds dressing room going guys 15 minutes of positivity yeah um, but yeah now um yeah um yeah, as you say, the whole build-up was, and I don't like to go into you know the narratives because at the end of the day, narratives are a purely fan thing. Mm. I don't think narratives like that actually, you know, like Kevin De Bruyne and Ilkay Gundogan wouldn't have, wouldn't have arrived at the Etihad Stadium at two p.m. or whatever it was on Sunday afternoon, thinking, "Oh God, I'm terrified because Stephen Gerrard used to play for Liverpool and so did Philippe Coutinho." You know what I mean? It's a, it's very mm. much a fan mm. thing. But I do narratives that... don't make Tyrone Mings a decent centre back. <laughs> <laughs> well, he did for uh, about seventy minutes or so. He was winning a lot of headers. Yeah, um, 
yeah but i know what you mean is and it i think maybe part of it why and to be honest maybe you're asking the wrong person because i also felt quite at peace with it like adam uh before the game like i kind of felt well you know what yes we could end up trophyless but at the end of the day i've really enjoyed watching city this season and i think mm. we played some incredible football there's some incredible moments and if we're going to give Liverpool some praise, like they've been incredible as well. So if we're going to, if we end up losing it by a slim margin, it's there's no shame, is there? Because like they're two, two brilliant football teams with brilliant players and brilliant coaches. But I think then the nerves. Once we went two 0 down, I started thinking like probably how I should have been feeling pre-game about just the sort of <laughs> dread of of losing. And I think that is because it's you just know that obviously, as you say, City were never not top of the table throughout the whole day. But we all knew that Liverpool were gonna were gonna win at some point. Yeah. So it was one one, and we were one nil down. Check my phone, and it's one one. Two nil down. Check my phone, and it's one one. Still at Anfield, and you just know at some point they're gonna score. And thankfully, obviously, City got back in it uh, by the time Liverpool actually did start winning. But I think maybe uh, for people like yourself who were absolutely dreading it and dreading it like no final day before, maybe it's because of the the sense that you know this Liverpool team is so good like they are they're going to get the job done that they need to do so if we don't do it it's kind of you know it's going to feel all that bit worse that Liverpool went into it got everything they get got everything done and, and, and ultimately win it so yeah I think that probably played a role because obviously in 2014 Liverpool were as you say like they were well, they'd already kind of. I think the momentum was very much with City then. Yeah, yeah. And you could probably say that other one, other title races. Twenty twelve, the momentum was with City. Twenty fourteen, it was after Liverpool had um, sort of messed up their lead. Twenty nineteen, it probably was as well, given the the winning run City were on. Whereas this time, you know, Liverpool have been on this incredible run. Um, so any, it felt like any slight slip from City, Liverpool, there was just no question they were going to win. Um, and obviously that's how it panned out. But thankfully the madness ensued and, and City got the job done. So I think maybe that's why it felt, you know, particularly nerve-wracking for some people. Yeah, it, it was it was bizarre, wasn't it? Because um, for the majority of that day in, in the pre-match build-up, or, you know, in, in, in the entire week, so, well, since Liverpool beat Southampton in the midweek game, everything, all eyes were on City and it was almost this foregone conclusion that Wolves were going to not necessarily roll over, but, but not do anything against Liverpool. And to be honest, that, you know... That you could predict that from the start. Obviously, they held out for much longer than most people would have thought. But it it was all about City versus Aston Villa. And you say the players don't sort of buy into narratives. I think that's you know probably correct. But it's not too long since Laporte uh, did an did an interview where he was saying, you know, we do think about these things. We do think about the mistakes. And it certainly felt for for probably even before City went behind that there was a lot of nerves. And, and my tweet at halftime, my, my sort of take from it was City were trying to play the occasion. And whenever there was a space to run into or whenever there was a pass to play the ball in behind, City were trying to do that. And, well, it just, it just wasn't working at all. There wasn't that sort of incisiveness that you usually associate to City. And, it was almost one of those days where 
if you're looking back at it from the first whistle, you go, okay, let's get our foot on the ball. We don't try and score for ten minutes if if we if we can't, you know, if a goal comes, it comes. But we don't actually actively attack for ten minutes, and we just kill the game. Instead, it was it, it almost felt like a basketball match, and I, I can't remember the first chance Aston Villa had. But from that moment when they break, you're thinking, yeah, okay, this is this is where it's going to go. Um, let's do the positive stuff then, because we, we've done an, enough of the doom mongering, and, and you know, you'd have probably thought City lost. Uh, that isn't what. <laughs> happened though is it Adam do you think there's perhaps a little bit of schadenfreude with Guardiola in this title win in the sense that it was the three substitutions that led to the victory and after what feels like months and months of discourse when City drop points and Guardiola doesn't make any substitutions those three subs come on transform the game and I guess we'll start with Sterling who added that extra little bit of jazz to City's attacking play and obviously delivers the cross for Gundogan's first goal and he just he just seems to get at defenders when uh, I think Mares, who was the player he came off uh, came on for, felt a little bit tepid in that first half and, and didn't really want to to make the risk. Whereas it, it felt like Sterling was back to his old best with that with that first little dart and that cross. He was, yeah, and I think you know there was a lot of calls for him to be starting that game, um, but I think he's also a fantastic player for situations like that when you've got. Somebody like Mares, who maybe won't stretch the defense as well, he's going to look to 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 cut in on his his left foot and curl balls into the box. And um, you know, when Sterling comes in on that right, he can he can make the game a lot wider. He can take the ball to the byline, like we saw for that cross on the Gundogan goal. And he just provides so much energy. You know, he obviously gets a lot of criticism for the final product in front of goal sometimes, but what he always does, and a lot like Gabriel Jesus in that sense, is he just he creates havoc, and that's mm. that's what that game needed. It, the game was so kind of sterile from City's point of view um, in, in the attacking half. And he just comes in and he stretches the game and he picks the pace up a little bit. And I think, you know, everyone is so focused on on the Gundogan goals and Zinchenko coming in and providing that width out on the left and, and playing that ball for Rodri. But I think what Sterling did was he injected so much energy back into the team um, and so much pace back into the team that was sorely lacking in that, that first 70-odd minutes. Um, and I think that was just as big as the Gundogan goals and, and the Zinchenko assists. So yeah, fantastic substitutions. And it was brilliant to see Pep after the game. I think he was talking to, um, I want to say it's the sky, uh, the sky pundits, Micah Richards, Roy Keane, and I yeah, can't remember yeah. who, I think maybe yeah. Gary Neville was down there and, um, and they asked him about the substitutions and he said, something along the lines of, well, we've got five substitutions next season, so you'll see how genius I am, uh, which was just fantastic because we all know he's never going to make five substitutions yeah, in one yeah. game. Um, but yeah, his, his substitutions were spot on. And, and like you said, Sterling just he injected so much energy. And I think that was um, kind of an, an underrated role in, in the comeback. Yeah, we'll, we'll move on to, to Zinchenko, but we'll stick with Sterling as well. Um, Alex, you can have this one. It felt pre-game and, you know, I'm not <laughs> proclaiming to be some sort of world-class scout, but just a look at the Aston Villa team, you would know they would play quite narrow. That that midfield wasn't necessarily going to be sort of working its way across the pitch. You know, Coutinho's there, the main focal point, Ollie Watkins can drift out wide, but they, they're a narrow side. Then when you look at the, the, sort of this, the way City started the game, and it almost played into Aston Villa's hands. And then the two substitutions that, that affected wide positions, obviously being Sterling, who who Adams just covered a little bit there, but the one who came on at half time. And I think this is 
if if there is a pendulum swing in this game, it's Zinchenko's introduction because I think it was potentially two minutes into the half. He gets at the defenders and it's the first time in the game that they have something to deal with. And, and you know, suddenly sort of you start seeing the Villa fullbacks getting penned back. And then, you know, obviously that shimmying run for the Rodri goal. But he's had a difficult week, I think, since since the West Ham game. And there was a lot of talk about his... Is he viable for City? But that performance was, as we've seen a number of times in high-stake situations, as good as you can get. And, and don't forget, he's pretty much a, a central attacking midfielder who's, who's just been dropped into a left-back role out of necessity. And he looks as if he'd been playing there his entire life. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, obviously we can't we can't pretend that he doesn't have, you know, sort of dodgy performances from time to time, like the West Ham one. Um, but then, like, whenever he's, it does seem in these massive, massive games, uh, sort of last season and this season, when he has played at left back, he has kind of always performed, or to, to sort of the best of my recollection, anyway. Um, and as you say, yeah, it what that did seem to be the sub that changed it. Um, mm. and I think, obviously, yeah, just I think it, I think in the first half, City just on both sides just lacked, they just a complete lack of width. Um, and obviously, because on the left, you had Cancelo, who he's been brilliant at left back, but he is always going to sort of look to cut in just by virtue of the fact that he's right-footed. And then by having John Stones on the right, um, and I mean, John Stones, I think he does an admirable job whenever he plays right back. He's a solid option. He's not going to you know, get caught out too much, but he doesn't really offer anything going forwards. So every time the ball went to Mares on the right wing, you know, John Stones is never going to overlap him or really often much of a sort of an underlap threat through the channel. So all the Villa defenders had to do was, you know, make sure they didn't let Mares cut in too much onto his left, and that was kind of neutralised. Um, but yeah, so Zinchenko coming on, obviously he goes on the left, Cancelo on the right, Stones back in at centre-back. And I think, um, yeah, he just offered he offered so much drive and kind of, uh, I think sort of, not enthusiasm might be the wrong word, but kind of, you could clearly tell he was properly pumped up for it. Um, mm. And I think the first, when he ran on the pitch, like when he was substituted as the players uh, came on for the second half, he ran over to the um, to the East Stand, it would have been. And before the game's even kicked off, he's giving it sort of the big one to the fans, like, you know, trying to raise the atmosphere. Because obviously, understandably, the atmosphere was a little bit, little bit subdued at that point. You know, fans coming back to their seats, a bit nervous about what's going to happen now. We've got 45 minutes between, you know, either winning the league or not winning it. Um, so his positivity straight from the off, I think, was was great as well. And as you said, he started having a go straight away. It was probably we attacked more. Uh, our attacks looked better down the left hand side within the first two minutes of the second mm. half than at any point in the first half. And of course, you know, City do go two 0 down after he's come on, and then the fight back happens. So it's not like an instant. You know, he's not yeah. in, instantly improved the fortunes of the team, but I think. It was a really important change, um, and I think he just showed again that his, um, yeah, he just he has like a, that unique quality that he just. Uh, I guess City's slogan for for a while now has been you know fight till the end, but you do get the sense with Zinchenko that you know when heads drop and certain players, some of their heads will drop. Like everyone will still try their best, but with Zinchenko, you just you just get the sense that he always does believe um, that something can change or that City can find a way. Um, and obviously he showed that and got that assist as well for the Rodri goal. He went on that crazy sort of jinking run on the left wing, didn't he? Turned a few mm-hmm. defenders inside out and then squared it to Rodri and, and uh, 
Rodri, Rodri Rocket did the best, uh, did the rest. So um, yeah, it's incredible 45 minutes uh, for Zinchenko and it's been such a difficult season as we all know for him and what with not playing much in the first half of the season and then obviously the um, the invasion of Ukraine and what that's meant for him and his family and you can't even imagine where he must be in a sort of um, what his sort of mental, psychological sort of um, state must be at the minute because it's just unbelievable really but to um to kind of still put in some of the performances that he has and to still be there and uh to obviously help City in ultimately something that doesn't really matter in the grand scheme of things. You know, this is a game yeah. played between twenty two people on a football pitch. It's just doesn't really bear mentioning in compared to what's happened over in Ukraine. But you know, the fact that he's still been able to sort of perform his job to the best of his ability and the way that he influences the team, uh and yeah, I think he's. I think it'd be fair to say he's, he's kind of approaching maybe cult status. I don't know, mm, is it too soon yeah. maybe? Because obviously no, there has been a few, so. as you say, there's been grumblings a little bit after the West Ham game in particular about, oh, maybe we do need to sign a left-back now. Um, but yeah, I think he is a fan favourite for sure. And um, yeah, it clearly just means an awful lot to him. I think that's, you saw with the celebrations after the after the game and wrapping the, um, the Ukraine flag around the trophy and how emotional he was. I think it just obviously means an awful lot to him. He's he's a warrior. He, he's an absolute warrior and he's obviously had, what, since uh, late February, had to carry the weight of a, a, a nation in mourning, essentially, on his shoulders. And obviously his season is far from done. Ukraine head to Scotland to take part in a, in a World Cup playoff and potentially even then go on to, to book their place in uh, this year's tournament. So we'll, we'll wait and see how he does there. But in terms of this game, he was he was superb. And like you say, he doesn't know when to stop. And that's testament to, to his personality personality I think well, he's probably been someone who's been on the transfer list for City for what three years or so and it's always been the case of well nobody's really wanted to stump up the cash so he so he stayed and he's fought for his place and he's wanted to and he you know he hasn't tried to get a move away he knows he's going to play I don't know 20 games a season if that and yeah he, he's absolutely superb um that obviously led to the led to the Rodri goal the equalizing goal which was Less Rodri rocket and more sort of Rodri really well placed and getting the angle spot on, side footed from outside the box. Um, that made it 2 2. But obviously, before that, Gundwan had made it 2 1. Um, Adam, then, is is the, the change on 68 minutes, Ilkay Gundwan coming on for Bernardo Silva, the best substitution in Premier League history? Because in the stadium, I, I, I turned to my dad and went, I'm not sure about that. Bernardo Silva is the sort of player who can get something out of nothing. Foden had just gone down with what seems to be an injury. I'm thinking, is it better to sort of take him off? We don't want to be down to 10 men, sort of, because it was the last change. It was literally the last roll of the dice. Will any substitution ever better that? Uh, I would say probably not in the future of this club. Um, it was an incredible substitution, and especially when you kind of look at the other options on the bench, you know, there was obviously tons of calls for Jack Grealish and to kind of see what, what role he played That's in the day. That's a narrative and, that he didn't want to exactly. touch, isn't it? Yeah. You know, and uh, yeah, it was a fantastic substitution. And, you know, he provides something different. He provides something that none of our other midfielders really provide other than maybe Kevin De Bruyne, which is that ability to to make the r- late runs into the box and, and end up in the perfect position for tap-ins. You know, he's, he's almost an Aguero in midfield because he gets himself in the right mm, position mm. And, and he's always on the right spot. Um 
And it's an interesting narrative as well. When you think of the week leading up to this, there was all sorts of rumors about him potentially leaving the club. And obviously, whenever he leaves, it's going to be um, you know on great terms with the club. And he's Pep Guardiola's first signing, and he, he signaled a huge change in the club. I think when he came in. Um, but yeah, that that is you know a legend making moment for sure to mm. come in and score mm. those two goals. And it's interesting, you know, watching the parade. They asked him kind of how he felt in the moment the ball went into the back of the net. And he said, I just felt nothing. And then he, he said that he saw Kevin De Bruyne go like whizzing past him. And then he, was, <laughs> he kind of realized what the moment was. And, you know, he darted over to the corner of the south stand. Um, but yeah, incredible substitution. And all three were incredible. But th- that one will definitely go down in, in city history and, and in Premier League history. Yeah, that that moment um, when it goes in and there's that incredible photo, isn't there? Which I'm actually in. Me and my dad are in, which is uh, a little bit goosebumpy when you see, you know, the, the celebrations and and whatnot um, uh, in sort of captured like that. But if you had a look at that photograph, you would have no idea who scored the winning goal because there's about four players ahead of Gundogan. I think it's Gabriel Jesus who is just flat out on the floor. Uh, Phil Foden looks as if he's seen a ghost or something. He looks absolutely terrified. His hands are on his head. Uh, I think there's another another few people hugging each other. It is it's absolute art. Um, I guess then, Alex, you're, you're gonna you're gonna leave us after this, and you're gonna you're gonna head off and, and continue your work. But before Adam and I sort of digest the the post match nonsense and what we've seen from the parade and, and some of the celebrations, is there anything else that you want to add with, with what is? you know, one one of the most historic days in Manchester City's history. And it's one of those, isn't it, in 10 years' time, like we've been doing with the Aguero moment, it's, it's probably only then that we'll realise just how seismic this is. 20 minutes to go, 2-0 down, 3-2 victories, that scoreline again, it's... It's sort of it's history in 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 the present, isn't it? It's it's uh it's it's beyond comprehension, like I said, and and something that we we've absolutely been pleasure uh, we've had the pleasure to witness firsthand. Yeah, I think I think we've just got to enjoy it, haven't we? I mean, judging by the celebrations yesterday, the, the players are definitely showing us um, the importance of enjoying the moment and you know celebrating. But as you say, it's doesn't does these kind of things, you know. They just don't happen often. And the fact that City have now had two mm. Premier League final day victories in such dramatic circumstances. And you said it at the top of the show, like obviously Martin Tyler said, you know, you'll never see anything like this ever again. But it's literally happened twice now with City and most clubs have never had a moment like that, never mind two in the space of just over a decade. So, you know, I think we just... We've just got to enjoy it. <laughs> Basically, yeah, it's just incredible. I mean, I mean, I speak as someone that wasn't, uh, I wasn't in the stadium for ninety three twenty. Um, I still had a pretty good experience because I watched it uh, at my mate's house uh, with two of my friends who were United fans. So that was quite <laughs> funny. So I got that side of it. But then, uh, so obviously, I got the whole uh, Martin Tyler commentary and uh, yeah. taking a mick out of my mate's side of it. But to actually be in the stadium for this one, um, just. Yeah, nothing beats that kind of that mass of uh, that feeling of just mass celebration where everyone's just in that moment uh, feeling the same emotions. And then it was also over so quickly. Like, obviously, mm. you don't really, I can't really remember what happened. I can't remember the ball, uh, a Gundogan hitting the back of the net or the sort of the first few seconds of celebrating. I just sort of remember kind of 
stopping jumping up and down after a few seconds <laughs> and uh, my legs just feeling absolutely like uh like jelly and just not really understanding how we've done this looking at yeah. the clock it's like you know five minutes ago we were two nil down and now it's three two and it's just still trying to wrap my head around it but yeah i think there's not much more to add than just you know maybe we'll never have another sort of dramatic moment like this again but you know we're so lucky to have experienced two i say lucky it's probably taken a fair fair few years of our lives hasn't it but yeah yeah, would we change it i don't think i I wouldn't change it i mean if you'd asked me before the game do i want it to be that dramatic and stressful again i probably might have said no but now that it's (laughs) happened you know it's it's incredible really isn't it yeah, definitely. So it's bouncing that. Would you rather have a four 0 in a, a comfortable afternoon, or or would you have that? And I think in retrospect, you probably go for the the dramatic winners. Although, it, like you say, it, it does take a few years of your life. Um, well, then, Alex, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. As always, welcome back anytime. And yeah, super stuff. And and here's to another few Premier League titles in the future. Yeah, pleasure to be on. Cheers, guys. And let's pick this back up then with the sort of the post match stuff. Um, Let's take it back to a comment from a certain Patrice Evra, who's gone from being quite the quite the respected figure in world football as a player to sort of descending into meme status. And, you know, we've all seen the videos as funny as they may be. What a nuisance. Um, but yeah, it wasn't too long ago, in fact, post Real Madrid, that Patrice Evra came, Patrice Evra came out and said, Manchester City and Guardiola teams in general have a lack of character. Well, Mr. Evra, if you were watching the Etihad Stadium at around, what would it have been, five o'clock, 20 past five on Sunday afternoon, you'd have seen an awful lot of character. Is this a one-off, do you think, then, Adam, for City? And, you know, I can sort of see where you're going to go here because you've, you've said it plenty of times in the build-ups to this game and, and in the past, but... Is, was this just a freak of nature? Was it one of those times, like in Real Madrid, when, when City <clears throat> sort of were one foot in the final, two minutes, it's all gone? Or was this no freak? Was this City doing what they do best, not knowing when to give up and, and you know, keeping going till the final whistle and, and you know, 2-0 down? It doesn't matter. We can always score three. I'm going to answer your question with another question. Um, oh. Which I kind of want to start a more broad conversation on this. Um it certainly wasn't a freak incident, especially, you know, you bring up Real Madrid and those two late goals in, in stoppage time. That's not a freak incident for Real Madrid. That's something they do, especially yeah. in the Champions League. Um, you know, I think it was Sam Lee on Twitter after after the game that, that brought this up that was kind of like, our city building an identity for themselves in the way that United had Fergie time and you could never count them out in, in Premier League games. They would come from behind or or whatever. Um, the way that the cop can almost suck the ball into the net when they need a big goal. The way that the Bernabeu can, can will a goal in a big Champions League game. Mm. Our city now creating an identity for themselves in the Premier League that they can't be counted out. You look at the, um, you know, you go all the way back to the club's first title and and City were what eight points behind with with twelve yeah. games remaining, or um, or was it twelve with eight? I, I my brain is so scrambled. But <laughs> um, you know, and then you get the, the Vincent Company goal in the derby to to give City first place for the remainder of the season. You have the Aguero moment, of course. You know, you fast forward to um, even on a more micro scale, the the Liverpool game in, in twenty nineteen to to win that game at home. And then obviously you've got the Vincent company goal against Leicester, 
you know, you fast forward to this season, you've got Sunday's game. Are we now building this identity along with the Liverpools and the Uniteds of the world that like there's something about them? Like that phrase should be used about City in these moments now. There's something about them that in mm. these moments with the Premier League title on the line, they get it done by hook or by crook. Um, and I don't know if that's a realistic narrative now or a realistic identity. What, what do you think? Um, I, I guess, I guess that is the case. But my my overriding sense here is that it was a very unguardiolian like end to the season. And I was actually saying this like I do often with my dad, and he 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 brought it up inside the stadium when what was it with twenty odd minutes to go, City made their final substitution, like. How often this season have we seen that unless there's been an injury, which I'm pretty sure in saying that none of those substitutions were, were sort of brought about because of injury. And it felt like there was a, a sense of panic for the first time in what, 38 games of the season or 37 and a half. And ultimately that that probably helped City. Um, when, when we had Ollie on last week's show, when you were away, we spoke about the the lack of chaos in City performances and if sometimes sort of just embracing the chaos can help. And I think that definitely that definitely did sort of come to play on, on Sunday's game. Um, but, but at the same time, there is definitely an identity being built and, and it's moments like this where you almost instill the fear into the opposition team and we speak about building narratives it may be going away from home to Tottenham for example where there's been terrible terrible performances in in the past City might be one down with 10 minutes to go do the Tottenham defenders start thinking oh well you know you can't write this team out and stuff like that so it it, it certainly does help build it up and just another Premier League title in the sort of the wider the wider scheme of things just another title on top of that and I think that possibly takes City above Chelsea in terms of Premier League Mm -hmm. titles it It, it obviously you know it, it it moves City from being this sort of club who's had the odd bit of success and, you know, the like you're knocking about the likes of Huddersfield or, you know, Preston in, in years, you know, years gone by. I don't think the exact numbers or what titles they're on. But it moves City towards the upper echelons of English football. And yes, the history will remember this as one of the most dramatic endings to a Premier League title, uh, to a Premier League season, sorry. But in the in the sort of the, the wider scheme of things, like I say, it's just another title. And it's that moving City to the sort of the, the super club and, and not just the, the team who has done well in, in, in England. Um on Guardiola then because the the emotion, like I said, was was very unguardiolian like at, at full time, wasn't it? He, the, the man was in tears, and we know he can be an emotional person, but usually on the dog on the touchline, that isn't something we see at all. Do you think he had to embrace the chaos a little bit more then to to get this across the line? Was it okay? Go and do it yourself. I, I'm I render useless here. There's no tactical formation. There's no bloody triangles in the world that can sort this out. It's over to you, players, and just just go and do it. I think he certainly embraced the chaos, and you know the emotion at full time was incredible. I I had actually missed it because I was running around and jumping around my my empty <laughs> apartment and. And I got a shout from Laura from the other room, Pep is crying. And I came came running in to see it. Um, but yeah, he certainly embraced the chaos. And I think just in general, he's become one of us in the last 12 yeah, months. Yeah. You know, it, it, it almost happened overnight where all of a sudden he was taking shots at the media for, for mm. having anti-city agendas and, and things like that. And um, I think he felt this title 
as a fan almost as much as he did mm-hmm. as a manager and just a, and as a tactician and and so on and so forth. Um, you know, his his family's lived in the city for for seven years now. He's got a, a young, I think his youngest is his daughter, who's probably almost grown up a city fan yeah. at this point. And um, yeah, I mean, he he certainly seems to have flicked a switch into being Mancunian and and being a city fan. And I think you could you could see that all over his face and, and you can see it in, in the scenes at the parade as well, that he just, he was absolutely loving sharing that this whole moment with the people mm-hmm. instead of, you know, maybe in the, the early titles was him proving himself from a selfish yeah. point of view and saying like, you all said I couldn't do this. Well, here it is. I've done it. And and now he's almost in the mode of like, look what we've done together. And and you can, you can see that all over his face. And, and I think it's beautiful. Yeah, you mentioned there the fact that he sort of morphed into into part of the furniture in Manchester, and there was a an astonishing, an absolute astonishing piece of writing from Jonathan Liu in the Guardian who who mentioned this and um, the fact that Pep's family were at the the Manchester Arena bombing back in in 2017, and anyone from the from the city, myself included, has a personal story to go with that. And in his piece at full time. He basically said for those for those moments when City were coming back, he was he was no longer the world's greatest manager. He was a father, and he was a human, and he was a person, and he was a City fan, and and that's exactly what it felt like, didn't it? It was it, the 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 greatness, and and we rightly lauded it. Was was it just disappeared? It didn't matter. It, it wasn't it wasn't influential, and well, how thankful we are that 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 the the stuff that had gone before led City to to do the comeback. Um, Let's move on to celebrations then because they have been absolutely fantastic. Question to start it off then. If you could pick two City players or two members of the City backroom staff, squad, whatever it may be, to go on a weekend away with, who are you picking? It's a funny one because I think normally my automatic answer would be Kyle Walker and John Stones. Mm. But... I think that I wouldn't get a word in edgewise and they would probably <laughs> lock themselves in their own room and just hang out with each other if I went on a weekend away with them because they are so in love. I, I know that yeah. you were you were out at the parade and, and obviously I was watching it on TV, but there was a moment where they City TV had, had interviewed them and they were asking them, you know, what, what's what's the parade like for you and what did it feel like when the Gunduan goal went in and, you know, just kind of general interviewer questions. Mm. And Kyle Walker just like rips the mic out of the, the interviewer's hand and starts just looks straight in John Stone's eyes and just starts talking about how great of a guy he is, how much <laughs> he loves him. And he's not only is he a fantastic player, he's a great guy. And I'm so happy to be, you know, one of his best friends and blah, blah, blah. And then they're obviously both hammered as well yeah, yeah. And, and john stones takes the mic out of his hand and starts serenading him about how much he loves him and as a person and <laughs> it just like descended into this they just kept passing the mic back and forth over and over telling each other how much they loved each other mm. and it was the funny laura and i just cracking up sitting there like what are we watching right now um so i think it'd probably be them because they seem to be the most fun um maybe jack Grealish is kind of creeping in there now but well, they, that, they, yeah yeah. They seem to be the most fun, but I, I would fear that um, I wouldn't get any words in because they would just be looking deep into each other's eyes and speaking to each other the whole time. My two. Um, 
and and I'd, I'd fear for my life going on a bender with these two. But I have a feeling one of them doesn't see the pitch a lot. Is that a good guess? You'll you'll wait and see. You'll wait and okay. see. My my two would be Jack Grealish and Brandon the Kitman, who <laughs> together must be the seediest pair I've ever seen in my life. I, I guess we'll we'll start with Jack Grealish because. This man in the last what 48, 72 hours has provided more content than you could ever imagine. Forget the hundred million pound transfer fee. Send Villa another two hundred million because this this fella since full time I have I, I've genuinely fallen in love with him. I would die for Jack Grealish because it started off, didn't it, in the in the dressing room where he's got a, a bottle of beer and you know first of many and you know you can take that to be the first first trophy of many or the first beers of many because I think both w- would be absolutely true. I don't think from from the full time whistle till well pro- probably still now. He's had any sleep, and it's just been a constant booze-filled, intoxicated few few days for him. He has been unbelievably funny, and we always knew it was going to happen. Isn't it? He feels like a footballer from a, a bygone era. You know, he, he was the sort of that you'd you'd see on the the back page or the front page even of tabloid newspapers. And you know, he, he's very much a, a scandal waiting to happen. But it. I, he's just superb. He genuinely is superb, and I would happily, for for the celebrations, have had a Jack Grealish cam just following and following him about because, what a fella! What an absolute fella! And the best thing about it is he, at the same time, seems to be such a down to earth guy. You know, he was he was interviewed after the game, and he said that when <clears throat> I think he said that it was when the third goal went in that he ran down the tunnel to cry. And yeah, he stayed. Yeah. He stayed down there to cry because he didn't want to be seen crying if <laughs> Villa came back. And then yeah. you know the papers would kind of spin his reaction and 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 all that. And um, he just he also seems like such a just a great guy off the pitch. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he has been a revelation in the celebrations. Um, you know, they did an interview with him and. I can't remember what what prompted him to say this, but he grabbed the mic and it was right after the John Stones and Kyle Walker bit. He grabbed the mic and he said, I want to give a special shout out to Bernardo Silva who came off in the 70th minute because he was he was well off it today. Yeah, yeah. There was there was loads of them, wasn't there? And and that one where Mares is doing the who wins in the one v ones, etc. And he goes, it, it was me when I was at Villa, that's why Pep signed me. You know, he's he's absolute gold dust. And you spot on there, you know, we've we've seen a number of videos. I think it's a, a girl called called Abby who he he met once going into the into the stadium and has since stayed in touch with the family and that getting chills speaking about it now but that, that really heartwarming video where he invited her into the box for one of the games and she brought him a, a Peaky Blinders gift and you know they, they shared a, they shared an embrace and, and he isn't this sort of much to the sort of the popular belief or at least I don't, I don't know him personally but you, you assume he isn't this sort of glitzy glamour footballer who has been spoon fed his entire life he's got a really really tough story if you go back and 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 listen to it and some of the stuff that his family had to go through to just get him to football matches as a kid and obviously that decision to leave your boyhood club villa and in the premier league as the captain to go and chase chase a, a dream elsewhere and a really tough but still beneficial first season and he he's just He's morphed into the squad, hasn't he? And it's, it's, it's stuff like the last 48 hours where you do realise that, yeah, 
you know, this fella's here to stay and, and he, he hasn't taken, you know, granted, Premier League champion, you probably would be off your, off your rocker, but he hasn't taken long to, to really settle in. Um couple of honourable mentions then and, and they sort of they come from the from the goalkeeping squad because that seems like it's so, their, their training sessions must be incredible because both Zach Stefan who's obviously a, a, a country mate of your own and, and then Scott Carson who honestly that those two together at the parade and at the celebrations on, on Sunday were again absolutely off it and they seem like two you, you'd go out with and you'd never come home again. Well, Scott Carson was who I thought you would say you you would choose for he, your he weekend. He came close. Away. He came close. But Brandon, I, I just love. I think he's a he's a, he's super Brandon. But yeah, Scott I, Carson probably will be third. I hope to God that that Scott Carson, whenever he does hang up his boots, um, he stays on as a member of the staff. Which, yeah. <laughs> by by all intents and purposes, he's already just a member of the staff in a way. Yeah. Because um, he is comedy gold, and I don't. I don't ever want to see City win another Premier League title without him being involved <laughs> in the celebrations somehow. The, the, I'd say for me, one of the best moments of the entire kind of the parade and all the celebrations in general was, again, it was right after, there must have been an English gathering at the time because it was right after the Kyle Walker and, and John Stones interview and and after Grealish called out Bernardo Silva. Um, and And... Scott Carson comes in and he just he grabs the mic out of his hand and he starts pointing at them individually and he goes, he hates losing. He hates losing. He hates losing. He's like, we all fucking hate losing. And it just like, you know, on, on this live stream and, and yeah. it just, he's, he is just gold dust for comedy. And yeah, he's, he's seen another guy that also seems like an incredible down to earth guy off the pitch. And mm, mm. it's fantastic that all these guys can kind of just switch into this unbelievable party mode and yeah. back to professional and back to, to great human. And yeah, it, you know what? It's, it's a testament to the club though, because the club has been so good in years past at kind of evaluating the character of the players that they sign. And I don't mean the Patrice Everett type of character, like how yeah, do you come yeah. back from 2-0 down? It's it's how do you carry yourself off the pitch? Mm. And, you know, players like Mario Balotelli and Carlos Tevez, they don't they don't last long at this club. And it's no. because, you know, this isn't a club for, for egos. It's not a club for superstars. It's a club for pretty down-to-earth human beings. And um, I think Pep has obviously had a big say in that as well. But... You know, when you listen to people in the scouting department talk and, and people even higher up like Omar Barada or Ferran Seriano, they, they constantly talk about how they spend more time evaluating the off-the-pitch life of the players that they're scouting more than what they do on the pitch. Because on the pitch, it's there for everyone to see. The statistics are there to see. But they care kind of almost more about how they carry themselves off the pitch. And we see that when we get these kind of long-term glimpses like the parade mm. into their personalities and mm. it's I think it's such a, a testament to the club yeah certainly and if you think about in recent memory that the city legends who you know have statues for example Vincent company is there a, is there a more genuine human being on the earth I, I'm, I'm yet to yet to, to see one David Silver again absolute gold dust Aguero and you know the, the way he's handled himself uh, sort of with, with the with the injury in retirement as well you see that more and more and, and yeah you know look at 
City's best player potentially ever at the moment, Kevin De Bruyne, uh, salt of the earth fella as well, Ilkay Gundogan. I think part of the reason why people were so disappointed to, to hear he may be leaving, not because of the fact he's, he's getting older or has a year left on his contract, it's the fact because he, he's such a, a, a fantastic person and we're just seeing more and more of that, aren't we? And, and you know, here, here's some more of it because I, I guess the, the, the last sort of point on this then is... is it's refreshing, isn't it? And it, it, it's it's nice to see. And again, I, I caveat this by saying City have just won the Premier League title in dramatic circumstances. Everyone's going to be enjoying themselves. But there does feel the chemistry of the squad. And, and you add the manager in there as well, who, let's not forget, we were told when Guardiola arrived in 2016, he'll be gone by 2019. That's, that's just what he does. You know, he comes, he goes, that's the way he operates. We're looking at a situation now where... Is it unthinkable to to say that Guardiola may be here for I don't know ten years? Is you know it could be the case. Who knows? We'll wait and see. He's got a year left at the moment, but the whole chemistry of the squad it, it feels like a great place to play football and a great place to work, and and that goes from at the top with the manager right down to the the catering staff or you know the the, the kit men or you know every single person there seems like they belong and you saw that in the celebrations everyone was on stage mm-hmm. and and it's, it's nice to see that it isn't 17 players or whatever everyone has a part to play and everyone's respected i think that that kind of all falls down at the manager's door because you know when you think back to the amazon documentary in in 2018 and that was pep's first you know trophy winning season and I can remember when they were doing uh, team photos with the trophies and stuff. And I vividly remember Pep like calling the kitchen staff, like, what are you yeah. doing? Why aren't you in the photo? <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. and he, he was bemused why they didn't feel like they should be in the picture with the, with the trophies and yeah. things like that. And I, I think that's just the, the, the kind of aura around the club that he's created. And when you listen to interviews of new players coming in, like Jack Grealish, you know, he said on the pitch after the game that, um, he was so nervous about coming here, about living up to this to the mm. standards, to the expectations. And he said that when he got here, he was just so welcomed in by the squad, and um, you know there was no gripes about his 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 wages or or his price mm. tag or whatever. He was just welcomed in as a member of the family immediately. And um, I, I think that's such a testament to to Guardiola and the way that he's managed the club. You know, he, he came in and he he knocked down the dressing room and he made it a circle so that everybody yeah, can yeah. see each other and. You know, he, I, I remember how he would sit, he had the dressing room lined up so that nobody that sat next to each other spoke the same language if it mm, wasn't English, yeah. like no Spaniards could sit next to a Spaniard. And he's, he's clearly a fantastic manager when, when it comes to creating that, that team chemistry. And for all the talk of the, the tactics and the triangles and the movement and the, and the spatial awareness it doesn't get highlighted enough how fantastic he is in the dressing room and just around the club in general. And you can see that when we do get glimpses into it. And he's he's such a gem. This has just turned into a, a Guardiola plotting, yeah. but he's such a gem to football. And any club on earth would be should be so proud to have him as a manager. And and that's why I pinch myself every single day that he's been here for seven odd seasons and doesn't really look like stopping anytime soon. That's the the nervy bit, isn't it? That 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 he doesn't look like he's he's going to be stopping anytime soon. Well, we'll wait to see. The rumor is that there's a contract extension round the corner. He was asked about it by by Micah Richards on the final day and sort of laughed it off. But it's it's getting to the point now where, I, well, I think it's it's safe to say that he's built a dynasty. He, he really has built a dynasty. And what's that now? Four Premier League titles in in the in the time he's been here. Um, 
it feels as if there's probably going to be more around the corner. Obviously, we'll wait and see. We are getting to a transition season, and it's it's reassuring, isn't it, that you know we know where the squad needs to change. We know what has to happen. We know who has to come in, and, and again, uh, uh, we'll, we'll wrap it up with the Fernandinho chat. But there's going to be people leaving. It's what the seventh or eighth consecutive season City have had a, a cult hero, a legend of the club who, who's who's leaving. To have a man like Guardiola, who's who looks to be sort of doing the rebuild himself and, and taking that on, it may be a bumpy season next year, but there is that sort of it, like like a, a warm hug, isn't it? Essentially, when Guardiola's at your club, you you, you have entire you, your whole trust is in him, and there may be mistakes along the way. There may be a nil nil at Crystal Palace, or there might be a semi final defeat against Real Madrid, but City don't have those moments. Or, or, or not to that extent without him. Another manager, a good manager would be in, in place, but we are getting to the situation now where every single league Guardiola has been in, there's arguments that he's been the best ever coach to, to grace it. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, here's to hoping there's many, many more years of him down the road. And I think there I think there will be. I, I think he'll probably not want to leave while Jurgen Klopp is still around. I yeah. think that he'll constantly want to be there with a fly swatter batting him away. <laughs> um, and, you know, he's he's now the second most prestigious manager only behind Sir Alex Ferguson as mm. far as Premier League titles. I mean, that's that's unbelievable when you think of the levels that Sir Alex has set. Yeah. And obviously it's going to take many, 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 many more years for him to chase any of those records down. But you could kind of see Guardiola... In, in almost the way that I mentioned earlier with the with the point to prove when he came in that he may want to stay for a long time mm. and set himself above everybody else and, and almost make himself untouchable just to say that he did it. Yeah, yeah. I, I can definitely see that. I can definitely see that. Like if he, he left with ten Premier Leagues, it won't be big it won't be a big surprise. But equally if he left with, with only five, I don't think it'd be uh, much of a shock either. Um, and and also if if he wants to remain in club management, where's he gonna go? True, true. There's there's yeah. nowhere for him to go. Yeah. So it's yeah. as simple as that for me. Yeah, definitely. Um, we'll wait and see. I guess we'll wrap it up then with a man who, who hasn't really been mentioned as much primarily because he came off as Inchenko in the in the Aston Villa game, but obviously it was Fernandinho's last game for the club and it felt at one point it was going to be the worst possible ending. Obviously, Aguero's uh, City career ended in heartbreak in Porto um, and and obviously David Silva's was wasn't the greatest of campaigns that 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 Champions League knockout game against Leon and it it felt as if it was going to be another one of those sort of tragic endings for for a man who's given an awful lot for the club. Where does Fernandinho rank then as as sort of in the status of legends? If we if we take Vincent Company in recent memory as you know the untouchable, the god, the the colossus. And I don't know who you'd have at the bottom of that list. Maybe uh, Nolito. I don't, I don't know. I'm maybe doing him a bit of a disservice. But you know, in in that sort of scale, where does Fernandinho drop in for you? I think he has to be up there with the David Silvas and the Agueros. Um, he's been such a valuable member to the squad on the pitch. That's not even mentioning the human off the pitch yet. Mm. Um, you know, when you think about the kind of player that we thought we were getting when he came in, you know, kind of a, a box-to-box kind of crafty midfielder like he was at Shakhtar Donetsk. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like he mentioned in his in his farewell, he mentioned that, you know, he came in with the weight of 
Brazilians having not really been uh, performed very well in the Premier League in the past. Mm-hmm. And he said that he had a ton of anxiety over kind of being the next Brazilian in that list. Um, but he came in straight away. He was fantastic, fantastic servant to the club in general. And then when you think of kind of the player that Pep Guardiola turned him into, he became arguably in in our most important and, and most successful era, he, he almost became the undroppable player. Mm, you know, so. Aguero, Aguero could come out of that team and it would still win. Uh, Vincent Company could come out of that team with, with his loads of injuries. It would still win. But when Fernandinho was out of that team, other than maybe a two-month period in, in 2018-19, all hell broke loose when, when mm. he was out of the team. And I think that right there just shows you everything about just how important he was to the squad. And and then the guy off the pitch is uh, just another one of those those city players that is just fantastic human, a fantastic leader, and um, I think was so deserving of, of the captain's armband the last few seasons. And um, I think, you know, there's the shouts for a statue. I'm one of the people that believes there kind of has to be a decade at the club and he's, he falls a year short of that. But, um, you know, he got the mural at the training ground and um, he certainly won't be forgotten. He, he won't be one of those players that um, he, he'll never be an unsung hero. Let's put it that way. Mm-hmm. They'll be singing about him for a long, long time. But you say that for, for a good period of time, possibly outside of City, he, he probably was underlooked um, in the sense that he, he didn't get the, the flowers he deserved. And it's probably only the last sort of three seasons, maybe. And like you say, when he's not there, it, it sort of shows more than, than when he is. Um, even going back to Rodri's first season when he was, Rodri came in as as the natural heir for Fernandinho's throne in in the that defensive midfield position. There's a lot of time when Fernandinho was picked over Rodri just purely because Rodri did wasn't able to sort of handle the game, handle the pace of the league, and he, he is the most un-Brazilian like Brazilian player you could imagine. He, he's almost like he should be from Bradford, not Brazil, because he's just he's an absolute fighter. And well, there was that there was that tweet wasn't there, the day before the Aston Villa game where he he quote tweeted the the one he sent in I think it was 2013 14 where he said you know first day at Manchester City tomorrow I'm so nervous with his little you know youthful looking youthful looking selfie and then there was a few onions being cut at that time because it it, it really was a, it really did touch a, touch the emotions but yeah he, he's. He he probably is just you know that one bracket below the 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 untouchables in the Guerrero company etc. I'd make a case. I'd like I probably would make a case for for most city players in in recent years that there is a is room for a statue. But you you probably are right that it it maybe is one or two seasons too short. If he if he'd won the Champions League and he'd taken City to their first Champions League victory, then you could probably say that that bumps him up the the order a bit but, but yeah he's going to be an incredible miss and and quite quite the human as well and and you know he's he's another one who's found that mancunian sort of humor and it seems to be it seems to be quite a few he got handed his, his season ticket uh lifelong season ticket and i think he he got put next to joe hart and pablo zabaleta so that's uh that'd be some that'd be some trio to uh, speaking of days out that'd be that'd be some to, to sort of wind up with wouldn't it it would yeah and uh no it was I think it told told you a lot about him that his he kind of kept it short and sweet in his in his mm. final farewell, especially on the stage at the parade. Um, and you could you could just see he was loving having the crowd singing his song. And he, yeah, you know, yeah. every time they broke in a song, he would stop his speech and just kind of soak it all in. And yeah, he'll be a huge miss, but uh, he certainly won't be forgotten anytime soon. Right. I think that covers quite quite a lot. Um, obviously, that's the season ending. There, there may be a, a more in-depth season review 
obviously you, you you're sort of you're taking up your time with, with the move and, and we'll wait and see but but there will come a time in the next few weeks where we have a little bit of time off and we, and we just sort of leave the football alone because regardless had even after 37 games played of the Premier League campaign I was exhausted that Aston Villa game has has completely knocked me out and I myself are probably just getting on the off the back of a two or three day bender so uh we'll we'll, we'll take some time out and we'll reflect and, and we'll, we'll you know we'll come back stronger as they say yeah no I'm looking forward to a break uh I'm also looking forward to the transfer window opening and and the news cycle kind of beginning as if it ever stops um <laughs> But yeah, we'll we'll definitely be back in the next few weeks with uh, whether it's me or whether it's you and, and somebody else with a full kind of season review and more in-depth look at the season. But certainly some exciting things on the horizon for next season as well. Some more content from us. But yeah, looking forward to it. Yeah, and I guess we'll wrap up by saying, obviously, it's it's only been a half season venture for, for us so far, but it's, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I didn't think we'd have one listener, let alone the, the numbers that we've racked up. So it's been it's been the the joy of a of a half season so far, and cannot wait to continue going. Um, other than that, then I guess we'll we'll get out of here. Have you got anything else to add, Adam, on on football or otherwise before we before we jump out of here? Yeah, I just want to say uh, thank God we never have to hear the term quad squad ever again. <laughs> Oh, you just unlocked some horrible PTSD. I, I'd I'd bench that after Sunday, but yeah, you spot on, and uh, and hopefully mentality monsters goes with that. Um, as always, if you can subscribe, follow on whichever podcast platform you come in, you you're listening along on. It's been superb to get back to it, and obviously reflecting on what was a a dramatic day of Premier League action. I have been Amos Murphy. I've been Adam Booker. And until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end of season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See McDonald's.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.